In this week's Not Much Merrier Than Usual episode, we'll be talking about music from Adele, Dream Theater, The Descendants, The Jazz Is Dead label, a few Christmas favorites of mine, because tis the season, and we'll be talking about some books by Neil Gaiman. I'm your host, Derek Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Hey there, Checkmates, it's your old Uncle Derek coming to you on, I think you'll be hearing this on Christmas Eve, actually, but I'm I'm talking to you a day or two before that. It is uh, going to be a warm Christmas here in St. Louis, Missouri. It's going to be 70 degrees on Christmas Eve and probably pretty close to it on Christmas Day, and that bums me out a little bit. Because uh, I know not everybody likes cold weather. I do like cold weather. But uh, even if uh, e- even the most tropical of hearts, I think, it's sort of somewhere deep down inside wants it to be cold on Christmas. It, it may be a little bit of snow. I mean, please have snow and mistletoe. It's in the fucking song. And we just, we're not going to have that this year. And not for the first time. Uh, so, I, I don't know. It's it's fine. It, uh, it doesn't quite feel like Christmas as a result, but it's also, like, there are things you can do to make things feel more like Christmas. You can listen to Christmas music, and you can wear a Santa hat and, and you know, do Christmassy things. Uh, right now, I'm actually drinking my holiday drink of choice. I'm drinking Bailey's Irish Cream, actually over ice, uh, which I normally wouldn't do with a liquor or a liqueur. I would not pu- put ice in it. Uh, but with Bailey's, putting ice in it just makes it feel a little bit less like alcoholic chocolate milk. Uh, so I do that. Uh, not not really to the benefit of the drink, just something mentally about it. So I'm I'm drinking I'm drinking some Bailey's Irish cream here tonight. That is my my uh, holiday drink, and uh, I uh, it's it's helping. It's making things feel a little bit more Christmassy. So does the. Tremendous amount of money that I had to spend on several people to buy gifts, uh, because I do all of my shopping in December, as any good American should do. My family is going to be getting together this year for a dinner and exchanging of gifts. There are eight of us, so I feel like that's a relatively safe sample size. Uh, I'll tell you, with the rise of the Omicron variant of the COVID-19 we're all worried about that, regardless of how much we want to see each other. But, uh, you know, it'll be as safe as we can be. Uh, most of us have had our shots. Uh, well, we've all had at least the vaccination. Uh, many of us have been boosted. I actually haven't been yet. I was trying to get that scheduled for the week, you know, kind of leading in. And it didn't happen because all of the appointments were for after Christmas. So... I'm probably the most at risk in the room, actually, so that'll be kind of interesting. But uh, but we are getting together, and it'll be a good time. There'll be food and presents and, and family, and that's kind of all you can ask for. So I, I hope you have something similar, if not identical, to that. Uh, I also hope you have whatever your favorite holiday drink is on hand in great stock. Uh, yeah, we got a, we got a good episode here. 
I think really all I was trying to say there up top was Merry Christmas to you, because uh, it, it is going to be Christmas probably for some of you listening to this. Merry Christmas, and if your Christmas isn't so merry, then I hope you're at least having a good Saturday, you know? Uh... Uh, what else is going on? Uh, I've, you know, I, I keep talking in these intros about, like, the pain and problems that I live in because of my back. That's been particularly bad over the past couple weeks, particularly the past week, in fact, and uh, I'm just kind of sore in places I shouldn't be, and some of that's because of having to do some yard work. Not a lot of yard work, just a little bit of yard work. We had... Uh, tornadoes and a day of just heavy winds come through here, and I had a bunch of tree parts fall in my yard, so I got out uh, a day or two ago and and just kind of sawed up what needed to be sawed up to be put in the yard waste, and uh, boy, with stuff already hurting, doing that isn't uh, the wisest move, but it had to be done, so we're uh, we're walking around with a little bit of a uh, Velcro back brace from Walgreens here today, and uh, ice when needed, and yeah, you know, sitting in an office chair isn't great on that stuff either. So it's been been kind of a kind of a frustrating experience. But uh, you know, it's it's okay. I'll get through it. It'll be fine. Uh, so another thing I'm going to be getting through is uh, I realized this week that I've put on some weight. I've been pretty open about my uh, weight issues here on the show. I lost. Uh, Nay, if not a hundred pounds in 2019, and uh, in 2020 when the pandemic hit, I maintained roughly the same weight that I was at when it started, and I was proud of that. And then I went back to work in an office, uh, although albeit not all week, a couple days a week, but I went back to work in an office and let myself slide, and I've put on. Um, uh, more than 10 pounds, less than 50 pounds. We'll say that. I put on enough that, uh, I put on a t-shirt that's always been kind of a tight fit, and I went, oh, this is a very tight fit now. How much have I put on? And I got on the scale and was flabbergasted and couldn't believe that I had let myself sink that far. So, trying to rein that in. Uh, of course, I figure that out the week of Christmas when there's all this food around, and uh, it, it's okay. At the family dinner, I'm gonna eat like I l- should eat at a family dinner, and I've got, uh, my dad is a generous guy. He gifted me some honey-baked ham and honey-baked turkey to eat in the days leading up to Christmas and after, and I'm eating that. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and, and just finish that out. Uh, but I have tried to take that a little bit easier and, and be more responsible with it, and uh, I noticed, I, I I saw what my new baseline weight is two days ago, and in the past two days, I've lost three pounds. So I'm doing things right, and I'm going to get back to where I was, and I'm going to maintain it. So that's, uh, if you get into a health program, if you get into a weight loss program particularly, and you want to maintain that weight, step on the scale every morning, every just every morning as part of your routine, right before you get in the shower, just step on the scale and take a look. And that'll tell you when you need to correct. Don't let months go by and then be surprised. Because that's, uh, that's what I did, and that was my Christmas gift to myself, I guess, is a little bit of a weight issue. But we'll get that taken care of, and I'll report back to you on it. For those of you who care, which is probably like one of you is keeping a chart on that, 
I mean, out there somewhere, there's somebody who's saved every picture that I've put on the blog. I can guarantee that. Somebody has a folder of pictures that I've put on the blog. I can absolutely guarantee that happened. And God bless you. I'm glad that you're listening. I'm glad that it means something to you. Uh, you're, you probably also have a chart of my weight. That's probably, <laughs> you're at least uh, on the list of suspects to do that. Uh, I'll let you guys know how it's going. Um Speaking of websites, there are some websites of interest that go along with the show. If you like the show, there is a companion blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. If you want to know more about me, go on over to derekbrink.com. There's lots of stuff to click on there, and more coming soon. If you like the music that you hear throughout the show, it's available at derekbrink.bandcamp.com for free. All you have to do is put zero in as your purchase price, and I don't collect your email. I would just love it if you loved it. And, of course, the show is on whatever podcast app you're listening to it on now, but uh, we're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all of the good ones. So if you uh, are, bless your heart, one of the people who comes to the blog to hear the show, I'm so grateful that you do that. But if you download a podcast app, it'll just come right to your phone. You don't have to do a whole lot of extra clicking. Um, So there you are. I, I say that for the handful of you that don't know what a podcast app is, I guess, but whatever. Uh, let's see. Let me look at my little list I've got in front of me here and see if I've covered everything that I wanted to cover. Um, yeah, for now, we're good. I'll talk some more after the bulk of the show, but I think I think that was a pretty strong intro. Good nine and a half minute intro. Yeah, that's that's pretty strong. I think that's I think it's enough to play some music and then do an actual segment. Let's do that. Let's play some music and then do an actual segment. What do you say? Some of you only want to hear me talk about music, so I'm gonna talk about something else. Don't know why that was the tune. I have been doing some reading lately. I got on kind of a kick of wanting to read books, and I've read several of them. And I wanna, I wanna just uh, talk about the pile because I've, it's, it's all been one author, and I've been very excited to be walking around in the worlds that he creates, and he creates really cool worlds and really fun worlds, and I just wanted to, wanted to acknowledge that and talk about that and just sort of sort of sing the praises of Neil Gaiman for a little while. Neil Gaiman is a British author. There's a good chance that you've heard of him from one thing or another. He's, one of, he's, he's pretty popular. He uh, first came to my attention as a comic book fan. I read his comic book, The Sandman. Uh, or just Sandman, not the Sandman. Uh, Sandman, I read that and enjoyed it quite a bit, and later on got into uh, his book with Terry Pratchett, Good Omens, um, which I think I've talked about on the show, and that's uh, good. In fact, I'm, I know I have. Good Omens is a great book. It's also uh, a TV show, or I guess a miniseries, that I think went out on Prime, and there was thankfully a Blu-ray copy of that as well. Um he, let's see, what else has he done? The Graveyard Book is popular. 
Uh, Coraline, a lot of you have probably seen the movie Coraline, if not read the book. It's a kind of a kid's book. He does a lot of writing for kids, actually. He does a lot of, does a lot of uh, weird stuff and short stories for publication and things like that. And His name's just all over the place. You've probably bumped into it at one time or another. I had read The Sandman uh, comics, and I had read uh, part of the Graveyard book, and I'd read Good Omens, but that was pretty much the depth of my experience with him. I didn't, I, I hadn't read a lot. And there's a, uh, there's a publishing company called uh, William Morrow, who put out some really beautiful, really nice paperback copies of some of his books, not, not his complete bibliography. That would actually be really hard to do, because he's been published published so many different places. Sorry, having trouble with my diction here tonight. Uh, turns out Bailey's drinks faster than whiskey. Uh, or vodka, as I constantly have on this show. Um, anyway, William Morrow put out these paperback copies that look really nice, that read really nice, that feel really nice. They've all got different kind of watercolor-type covers to them. I'll put some pictures over on the blog at emptychecking.blogspot.com. You can check them out there. And uh, I picked up a couple of them and then ended up picking up more and more of them, and now I've got all of them that are in those covers, and I've read most of them, and and I'm in progress on one, and I've got another two sitting. Uh, I've just really been enjoying this journey, and I just... What happened is I went to a Barnes & Noble wanting to read something short. And I've liked Neil, and I've wanted to read some more of his stuff for a while, and one of his books just kind of jumped off the table at me because I liked how the cover looked, which I, I, I sometimes literally judge a book by its cover. I mean, cover art is important in, in a physical product. That's part of why I love physical products, is you get to see stuff that you don't listening to an audiobook or reading it on a Kindle or what have you. Uh, actually, you'll probably get to see some of that on a Kindle. You get my point. I, I, it jumped out at me because of the cover. And I picked it up, and it was a short book, and I thought, that'll be, that'll be good, because it's short, so if I don't like it, then I won't feel like I wasted a lot of time. If I do like it, then it'll make me hungry for more. And it did make me hungry for more. And that first book that I picked up was his book, Stardust. Uh, what I've done is I've written short little uh, I, I title all of them Brief, Very Incomplete Summary. Uh, I've written sh short, brief, very incomplete summaries of the books that I've read, and I'm going to read those to you. And so if there's a Neil Gaiman book that you haven't read, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm probably going to be getting into some spoiler territory on some of these. Uh, some of them I wrote a couple of weeks back now, so I don't remember exactly what I wrote, but uh, it just... Be forewarned, as you always should be with this show, there's spoilers here. So I'll try to put when I'm talking about what book in the time code over on the on, on the blog and in the, the details of the episode if they pop up on whatever your player of choice is. But um, I'm going to be spoiling stuff. But I, I picked up Stardust, and that was the first thing that I read of his books that I hadn't already read. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with it and just really got into it. And here's the brief, very incomplete summary that I wrote. A man visits a traveling fair and sleeps with a cat-like servant of one of the shopkeepers. By the way, just that one sentence, I've already skipped a lot of stuff. Uh, months later, his son is deposited at the town border and raised uh, into his teen years, never knowing the truth of his birth. 
we pick up with the young man when he is a teenager, and he is in love with a local girl who promised to kiss and or marry him if he retrieved a fallen star that they'd seen descend that night. He agrees and sets forth. Crossing the town's border deposits him in a fantastical land where he meets many strange people and creatures, among them the star, not a bit of fallen rock, but a young woman. He first captures her, but over time they become friends and fall in love. He goes home and decides to remain with the star in the end. That's such a incomplete summary that it barely does justice to any of it because it's it's really a beautiful story that has stuck with me let's see i uh one of the habits that i have is i'll put a piece of paper in a book that says when i completed it and i completed this one on november the first uh i, I even put the time at 4 a.m uh it was I, I was anxious to get to the end of it uh it's a really beautiful book and it, it deals a lot with uh, just just fantasy lands and kind of the the rules of them and um, like his his town that he comes from is perfectly normal but once you step outside the wall you're stepping into a, a, a fairy tale book and those rules now apply and it, it it was just really easy to get lost in and the book itself in this edition is only about 230 pages so again pretty quick read. And uh, I just really, really enjoyed it. It really captured my heart. It's a great romance story. You've got intrigue. You've got a little bit of sex, but nothing too dirty. Uh, you've got uh, you've got uh, uh, something of a love triangle. The young woman that he's in love with back in his town that he is trying to capture this star for to begin with, she's actually in love with somebody else and doesn't want to marry him. And it's sad for her when he comes back and he's and he's got the star. So I mean, there's a whole lot going on in here, and it's really beautiful and really beautifully written. And I was so happy when he chose to stay with the star because you really fall in love with the character of the star in the book. Really liked Stardust. I gave it an A grade on my little summary that I wrote up. That's uh, that's actually a suggestion that I have for you if you're an avid reader. And uh, uh, I I tend to read a book and then say, yeah, I love that book, I love that book, that was a great book. Oh, really, what's it about? I have no idea. <laughs> because it's a little time has passed, and I've just forgotten what made me love the book so much. I can maybe give you a loose sketch of the story, but I can't tell you why I loved it. So I've started giving myself just a, just taking a couple minutes at the completion of a story and just jotting down a, a, a quick summary of the plot like that, just to refresh myself and remind myself if I pick up a book that I've read before and go, what what was the thing of this one again? I can just real, really quick look at my own handwriting and go, oh yeah. So that's, that's just a recommendation, maybe to those of you who read a lot. Just write yourself a little, a little like two, three paragraph book report. It, it helps a lot. I've I've really benefited from doing that, and maybe you will too. Liked Stardust a lot, liked it so much that I went out and bought several more books and read them over time. The next one that I picked up was a book that I've actually been looking for for quite some time, that I was excited about, because I, I, for a while, when I, back in the days when I was on Tumblr, I uh, followed Neil Gaiman's Tumblr site. And he was, at that time, writing this book, and I liked the title, and I liked some of what he was saying about it, and I really wanted to read it, and I just never got my hands on a copy, because every time 
like the couple times I would find it, it would be priced really high because I would only find the nice edition, like the all the bells and whistles edition or whatever. And uh, I I just I just never felt like spending that much money on it when I wasn't sure, you know. So finally, William Morrow puts out their copy, and it's uh, seventeen dollars, and it's which is about right for a book that is uh, around a hundred and seventy pages. It's just slightly bigger than a than a novella, 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 novella. There's that Bailey's again, uh, or. I, I think probably in his head it started as a short story and it just blossomed, you know, so it ended up being a long, short story. The book I'm talking about, sorry I haven't said the title yet, is The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And just that title alone has captured my imagination for a few years, and I've been wanting to read it and wanting to read it and wanting to read it. And I finally did, and I completed it on November the 4th, 2021. Didn't write down what time on this particular piece of paper. But here is the brief, very incomplete summary that I wrote for this book. A man is in his old hometown for a funeral. He is avoiding going to the repass. Which, by the way, I don't know if everybody knows that. A repass is the gathering that takes place after a funeral when you get together and have food and stuff. Called a repass in some traditions. Uh, Not actually called that in this book. That's just what I know it as, and that's what I wrote down. Uh, He's avoiding going to the repass. He finds himself on a farm down the lane, wandering into the house and meeting an old woman who sparks his memories. He sits by her lake and begins remembering. When he was a boy, when he was a boy, a boarder at his house killed himself, starting a chain of supernatural events. He befriended the woman on the farm in question via the 11-year-old, apparently, girl who lived there. They have a deep understanding of the events that are happening and helped him fight off the evil presence that has invaded his home and turned his parents against him. Once the problem is solved, all the humans forget the events, and the girl that he met, the 11-year-old girl, more or less dies trying to save him. Except those memories flood back to him by the lake, the ocean, and it isn't his first time back, but as he begins to leave, he once again forgets. And uh, that's another thing where that summary doesn't do anywhere near justice to what goes on in these short 170 pages. Uh, I will tell you this right now. This book gets an A-plus in my book. It's it's uh, in, in my book. In my estimation, it's uh, still my favorite of the books of Neil's that I've read. I'm calling him Neil like I know him. He did respond to me on Twitter a couple of times. That felt pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely adored The Ocean at the End of the Lane. The parents at times become genuinely terrifying and upsetting. The friendship that that blooms between the young man and the girl in the story is really lovely and sweet and not at all, you know, uh, racy or anything like that. It's, it's just nice. And uh, uh, there's a lot of warmth and a lot of heartwarming stuff in this book. The uh, point where the girl referenced dies actually made me cry. I got, like, tear-eyed. I was like, oh, no, I liked her, you know? And uh, it's also just really interesting to think that this is a guy who went there to kind of sit and wrestle with what's going on in his life, and he started remembering things that he had forgotten 
And then when he walks away, he starts forgetting those things again. And there's just kind of an interesting thought there. I got really wrapped up in that book, really, really loved it. It remains my favorite. And much like its predecessor, it made me want more. So I went back to Barnes & Noble, and I picked up the roughly 150-page Coraline, which is maybe the one that's going to be most familiar to some of you. It's made into a movie. People like it and are like super big into it. Uh, It's basically a kid's story, and it's a kid's story that has really freaked out a lot of kids, especially the movie, because the movie's very unsettling and jarring to look at. Uh, But the book itself is, uh, if you've got the right imagination, it it hits those same kind of jarring, unnerving feelings. But uh, it's it's really kind of aimed at kids, and I'm a 41-year-old man, so it, it didn't scare me in the way that I think it would like a child. But probably something that the, like, young readers, like your teenage readers, would probably enjoy Coraline quite a bit. Uh, here's my brief, very incomplete summary of Coraline. Coraline is a young girl in a new flat and is bored. She finds a key to a locked door that normally just leads to a bricked-up wall, until it doesn't. One day she walks through a long tunnel that normally isn't there, and finds a distorted version of her home and all the people that she knew, including her parents. Eventually her, quote, other mother, in truth a monster, traps her there, and Coraline has to figure out how to free herself and and her true parents, who have gone missing from the real world. She figures it out and gets back home, but the monster has survived in the form of just the monster's right hand. Coraline eventually tricks the hand into falling into a mile-deep well, which she then seals up, which frankly solves nothing, in my opinion. But that's how it ends. Um, I liked the book. The ending really fell flat with me because I kind of went, wait, you've got a supernatural monster hand just wandering around. You've trapped it in a sewer. That's fine. One day someone's going to have to open that sewer, which maybe is what Neil intended. Maybe he's got a sequel in mind. But, like, it just didn't seem like it solved anything. It didn't seem like anything ended. It's kind of, you know, you could have just... You could have just walked away before the hand thing and been fine. <laughs> so uh, I I enjoyed the story. I there are parts of it that have stuck with me, and I've I've I you know there there's a lot going for it, and it's something that will be really immersive and scary for a kid, uh, but like scary in the fun way, you know. Probably won't traumatize anybody, but uh, it, it'll be you know fun, scary for a kid or a teenager or whatever. Uh, but for me, the ending just kind of was odd enough that it knocked it down a couple pegs. I'm ultimately arriving at a B minus for that one, but, uh, it, you know, up until the ending, it probably would have been a B plus, if not an A minus. It's still very well written, even though the ending I thought was a little bit odd, which is kind of a recurring thing with Neil Gaiman for me, uh, particularly in his short stories, which I'm not going to go through every short story. But uh, some of his short stories, I kind of go, well, that ending was a little bit different and strange, but I liked the story, you know? So that's, I kind of got a taste of that with Coraline, because I hadn't gotten into any of his short story writing before that. But um, uh, I still liked it. I still really enjoyed it. I don't want it to sound like I didn't. It's just the end fell a little bit flat with me. But I moved on from there to another book that's written for younger audiences, and that is... 
of a similar tone, although not in the same world, uh, I moved on to The Graveyard Book, which I had read previously, or I thought I had read previously. I know that when I read it previously, I was uh, depressed at the time, so I uh, I didn't... Like, a lot of it didn't stick, and in fact, so much of it didn't stick, I actually wondered if I had ever finished it, because I didn't remember most of it. So I, I picked up the Graveyard book, and I, I gave it kind of uh, kind of a reread, or maybe, maybe, like, maybe I only ever read the first chapter, and I just, and I, I read the bulk of it this time. Uh, graveyard book is a little bit longer than the than the stuff we've gotten into so far. It comes to about uh, somewhere between 280 and 290 pages. Um, and here's what I wrote in my brief and complete summary. Bod, the main character, Bod's family is murdered by a man named Jack. Bod was a toddler and by chance wandered out of the house into a graveyard. The ghosts of the graveyard protect him from the killer and raise him as their own. Half of the stories that you read in the book are more or less standalone stories of Bod at different ages. Most importantly, he meets Scarlet, a child his own age, who moves away to Scotland, returning in her teen years when they reunite. Important to mention here, I didn't write this on the page, but important to mention here, Bod is fully human and is growing up as you would expect. He's just being raised by ghosts. You know, like happens sometimes. Back into the thing I wrote. Scarlet's mother begins dating the man Jack, who is still looking for Bod to complete more or less an old prophecy. At that point, all hell breaks loose. Bod wins out, but at the expense of Scarlet's memory needing to be erased so that she'll forget him and everything that happened between them. It's a simple story with a whole lot going on, I ended up really, really loving it, and I'm sad that I didn't know that sooner. Like, whatever that was going on that made me forget it, or that made me not finish it in the first place, boy, shame on me, because I missed out on a great story that, frankly, probably would have helped a little bit at the time, which is the gift of a great author. It, it, he kind of speaks to what you're going through, even though he doesn't know he's doing it. Uh, I'm going to give that one an A-. minus. I actually wrote down on my summary that it was a B plus, but I've had some time since then, and uh, some of it is some of the imagery in it is stuck with me in a way that I keep thinking about it, and I keep sort of thinking, well, what did he mean by that, or did he mean anything at all? Am I just reading too much into it? Yeah, I keep just sort of going back to it in that way, and I really enjoyed the graveyard book, and I'm I'm sorry that I didn't enjoy it sooner. Apparently, so I'm I'm gonna give that an A minus here personally. Uh, and it, like everything so far, made me want to keep reading. And this time I took a little bit of a different turn, and I jumped into his book, Fragile Things, which is a short story and and. Well, not essays, but yeah, short story collection and like some novella length stuff. Did did I pronounce the word novella right that time? I seem to have had some trouble with it in in the very recent past. Uh, I completed most of this book just in a couple of days, but it turned out that the last story in it is actually a follow up to his book American Gods. So I got all the way to the last story and then had to stop reading it 
so that I could read American Gods and come back to it. Uh, but because uh, I didn't want to read the I didn't want to read the postscript after I before I had read the actual story. Uh, but it, it's several short stories. Most of them are based around uh, supernatural stuff or hauntings or that kind of thing. I don't want to go through every story and 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 talk about every story, but I'll point out a few of my favorites. I really liked the first story in it, A Portrait in Emerald. It's great, absolutely an A+. It's a Sherlock Holmes story set against the Lovecraft mythos. Uh, that's all I'll say about it. That's all you should really need to hear. It's Sherlock Holmes running around in a world that H.P. Lovecraft invented, and that was just a really cool idea. There's actually a whole book about that, uh, like along that theme that Neil only wrote the one story in, but uh, I put that on my Christmas list because I was like, that was just a really cool thing to walk around in, and I'm glad that people are doing that. Portrait in Emerald was really, really cool. Uh, there's some there's some stuff that Neil does in his short story volumes that is, uh, I don't know how to say this. I, I don't mean for this to be, uh, I don't mean for this to be, uh, uh, um, too critical or unkind. There's some stuff that just doesn't speak to me in, in, in this format. Some of the stuff like when he writes a poem or when he writes uh, something that's very, very short, that's sort of in a, in a different style than, than he normally writes, some of that doesn't quite speak to me. And there's, there's a, a healthy chunk of that in this book that I just kind of, just kind of fell flat. Some of the poetry and stuff like that just doesn't work for me, which is not a criticism of his skill. It's a criticism of what I like and don't like, but fortunately he has a ton of stuff that I do like. And, uh, uh, I, I, you know, there, there was plenty in fragile things that I liked, but also plenty that I skipped, you know? So, but really liked the first story, got me hooked with that. And so hooked that even when I encountered stuff that, I wanted to skip. I kind of realized that, oh, there's that first story was great, though, and there's going to be more of that in here. And there was, because he's also got, uh, like, Forbid Forbidden Brides I liked quite a bit, which is a story about a man trying to, try, trying to write life as it is, except he has a problem in that all of his stories keep coming out as this dark, kind of Dracula-like fantasy. But we start to realize in his, in the moments that are described of him having actual conversations between the things he's trying to write, that that actually is his life, how it is. He's, he, he like lives in a Dracula world. And uh, so he's writing stuff like that and he gets, you know, frustrated with it. And somebody finally suggests, well, why don't you try writing fiction and, you know, try writing fantasy. And he starts writing about a guy having a lovely day in, in, in a picnic, having breakfast with, with uh, his girlfriend. It was just kind of cute in that way. I, I really enjoyed that. It was, I like... He, he does that a lot. He'll kind of set you up in a world and then make you realize, oh, this isn't quite the world that I'm familiar with. Uh, I liked that a lot. I also dug Closing Time, which is a story about guys telling ghost stories in a bar and trying to figure out which one's real, because one of them's real. Uh, I liked Better Grounds quite a bit. Um, what else? Uh, Other People is in there. That's a good story. It's about a guy... Uh, in hell, being tortured, 
physically and then mentally by having to revisit all of his past sins thousands of times until he himself becomes the demon. That's a huge spoiler, by the way, but it's excellent and it really stuck with me and bothers me uh, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I really liked that one. Um, I, uh, 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 what else? Uh, Good Boys Deserve Favors was pretty good. Uh, Miss Finch was fun. Uh, Strange Little Girls was, uh, Strange Little Girls was interesting because it was quick character profiles that he wrote for a Tori Amos concept album, and I'm a Tori Amos fan, and I forgot that they're friends, uh, and so I kind of bumped into that and went, oh, I know what he's talking about. That's kind of fun. So I I liked that, but uh, I, I don't know that that's for everybody. I think maybe it helps if you're a Tori Amos fan, or maybe it's your gateway to becoming one. I don't know. Um... Uh, what else? Uh, da, 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 da. I'm just looking down my list here of... I, I summarized every short story in here, which is uh, uh, hard to figure out how to summarize it. Uh, oh, there's a story in here called How Do You Think It Feels, which I liked. Uh, Neil himself said he's dissatisfied with the story and the forward, which is a little bit deflating when you start to read it. But then I read it and I thought, well, I don't know why he's dissatisfied. I really liked that story. Uh, it has some unnecessary sex in it, but otherwise it's really good. And I actually tweeted him and said, I'm new to your stuff and I'm reading Fragile Things for the first time. I know that uh, in the past, Neil has written about his daughter Holly and that Holly was named after Holly in uh, the Lou Reed song, Walk on the Wild Side. And uh, I just said, I know that you know, the story of how your daughter got her name is How Do You Think It Feels as a title, a Lou Reed reference. And he replied and confirmed. And I was like, oh, that feels really great. You know, <laughs> I'm glad that I saw that and that he re responded. And uh, that was fun. Uh, Feeders and Eaters was really good, too, although really upsetting because it's about... Uh, 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 a woman who is needs flesh to survive. It's just upsetting, but it was really good. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Uh, also really liked uh, Goliath, It's which is something that he wrote for the website of the movie The Matrix, but it's like 100% better than The Matrix because The Matrix kind of sucks, but his story was phenomenal. It's a lot like the movie, just way, way better. Uh, and, uh, another thing in here, uh, pages, uh, from a journal is another thing that he wrote to a accompany a Tori Amos record, a different one called Scarlet's Walk, which is a good album. And this fits right in with it. Uh, 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 how, how to talk to girls at parties. Which one was that? Uh, uh, it was okay. Uh, <laughs> didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Uh, the day the, the day the saucers came was cute. It's about the world ending, but the reader is told that they didn't notice because they were too busy looking at their phone. <laughs> I liked that. Uh, the story Sunbird is really good. I was a little bit ahead of it, but it's good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, uh, and then the last story in it is a follow-up on the book American Gods. So I don't want to get too deep into that because... I haven't talked about American Gods yet, but I'll I'll do this in the order that I did it in uh, life, in that I'll pause Fragile Things there, I'll tell you about American Gods, then I'll come back to Fragile Things. 
American Gods is one of Neil Gaiman's best-known novels. It is uh, huge compared to the other stuff I've read so far. It's uh, about 530 pages, thereabout, in this edition. There are annotated editions and fuller editions that are thicker than that. You could beat a whale to death with them. But uh, my brief and complete summary of American Gods is uh, very simply this. It's about three paragraphs. Shadow is in prison. A man named Shadow is in prison. He is released slightly early when his much-beloved wife suddenly dies. On his way home, he encounters Mr. Wednesday, who knows way too much about him, and after a time, Shadow becomes Wednesday's employee. It unfolds that Wednesday is actually the god Odin, and the others Shadow meets along his way are also gods. And the old gods are preparing for war with the new gods, such as the god entertainment and television and technology. That's kind of cool. Shadow becomes a key piece, though at first, a pawn. (laughs) And I actually wrote down here, it sounds like shit, but it's not. It's really cool. (laughs) Neil, uh, by the way, A-plus on this book. Neil himself has pointed out that at the time that he wrote it, he was maybe slightly ahead of his time, and reading it back now, it feels slightly quaint. Uh, I don't think it feels quaint. I think it feels uh, almost professorial about, like, this is something they should be reading in colleges about what's happening to us when we're looking at our phones all the time, uh, which I am extremely guilty of, no judgment there. Uh, it's, uh, It's a really entertaining, really engrossing read. There's a TV show being made about it. Uh, and I think still generating new episodes. That or it ended very recently, one of the two. I uh, haven't watched that yet. It's on my list. I really enjoyed American Gods, fell deeply in love with it. And then I read the uh, last story in Fragile Things, Monarch of the Glen, which is a novella that is kind of a continuation of American Gods, which doesn't really seem to tie in that much, except for the main character sharing a name with the character in American Gods. It uh, it fell a little, a little bit flat with me. I still enjoyed it, but I kind of didn't feel like... I, I didn't feel like I lost much, or I would have lost much, by reading it before I read American Gods. You know? So, like, it, it, it was kind of odd in that way. There have been talks for years of Neil having more stories he wants to do in the American Gods universe, and I really hope he does because American Gods was so good, and I'm sure that whatever he does to follow it up will be really good. I just didn't feel like Monarch of the Glen was as tied in as I wanted it to be. So, I mean, in general, I'd give the Fragile Things book probably about a B-. Again, American Gods is an A+. As of right now... I've only completed one more of Neil's books. I'm currently reading Smoke and Mirrors, which is another short story compilation, and I'm enjoying that quite a bit. But the other book that I read was Anansi Boys, which I believe is how you are supposed to say it. It's A-N-A-N-S-I. Anansi is a spider trickster god, which made me nervous about reading the book because I don't do well with spiders. But for those uh, of us who are arachnophobes like myself... There's really not that much spider content in here. You'll be okay. Uh, But uh, uh, Nancy goes by the name in the book Mr. Nancy because he takes human form. 
So I'm pretty sure it is a Nancy. I, for years when I would read it, would think it was like a Nancy or a Nazi or something. I wasn't sure, but I think because he calls himself Mr. Nancy, who, by the way, also shows up in American Gods, uh, probably it's a Nancy. Uh, again, not a lot of spiders in it. No worries there. Uh, I was nervous about that, and the couple times that spiders do show up, uh, show up, I get a little bit, you know, prickly and feel them on my neck, but they go away quickly. So it's it's okay. You'll be comfortable. Here's my brief, incomplete summary of that. Fat Charlie, the main character, Fat Charlie is engaged to Rosie. He is a son of a Nancy. He doesn't know his dad is the spider god. He also doesn't know he has a brother named, a little bit too on the nose, Spider, who knows his god self and has godlike powers. Anansi dies. The above details come to light, and Fat Charlie meets Spider. Spider moves in and completely wrecks Fat Charlie's life, including getting him into trouble with his current boss, uh, and Spider steals Rosie away from Charlie. Charlie makes an arrangement with a bird god to get rid of Spider, and all hell breaks loose. You'll notice I use the phrase all hell breaks loose semi-frequently when talking about Neil Gaiman books. Uh, not too many actual spiders in it, mostly undisturbing, <laughs> and a good read. Ending was a bit odd, but not bad. I gave it a B plus. Might deserve to go higher than that, but I gave it a B plus. Enjoyed it quite a bit. It was fun, and it was light, and it was funny in places, and again, not too many spiders. Uh, I liked the romance stories that were in it. Uh, it it could just as easily be... Like, Neil Gaiman could write really interesting, just slice-of-life romance stuff, but instead, his backdrop is generally uh, very kind of supernatural and fantastical, and that makes it that much cooler. But he could easily write just a... He, he could easily write a Nick Hornby book, and it would be good. But he also adds this element of fantasy that I really like, because I like fantasy as a genre, and it makes it that much better. As I said, I'm currently reading Smoke and Mirrors. After that, I've got to read Neverwhere, which I'm looking forward to, and also uh, Trigger Warning, which is another short story uh, compilation. Uh, and there are other books out there, but that's all that's in this Will, uh, William Morrow series. Uh, in fact, I've got uh, several of Neil's outstanding catalog on my uh, Christmas list, and we'll see if that happens this weekend. Should be fun. Uh, that's uh, where we are on our Neil Gaiman reading. And uh, maybe, if, if you're a Neil Gaiman fan, maybe we could talk about that. Maybe we can, maybe you could send me something. We could talk, or you, we, you could text me if you know me, find me on social media. We could talk about Neil Gaiman for a while, because I, I would love to talk about Neil Gaiman with some of your checkmates for a while. Uh, if you're not a Neil Gaiman fan, maybe this will make you want to dive in a little bit, because I hope, even if the stories are hard to summarize, I hope that you hear how much fun I have talking about them, and maybe you want to have that fun too. Uh, books are great. Everybody should read more books. Books are awesome, and read them in actual paper form so you can get your hands in there and you can smell the the, the ink and all that stuff. I, I love books. Where May meets December Maybe February meets May Too many months between us 
I'd like to talk to you about a little bit of music that's come out in recent days, recent months, something like that. Uh, just a few things that uh, we're getting close to the end of the year. The next episode we're going to do is my top 10 list for the year, and there are things that I haven't reviewed yet. So I want to touch on at least a few of them. I uh, got a stack of, well, four-ish titles here, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the stuff that I've been listening to for Christmas. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about the new album by Adele. We all know Adele. Uh, we all love Adele. What's not to love about Adele? She's great. She sings great stuff, and she sings it really powerfully and movingly. And uh, we all love Adele. And Adele put out her new album, 30, this year. Which, if you don't know anything about her, you might not know this. All of her album titles are named after what age she is at the time that she records it. So she's in her 30s now. Uh, but yeah, 30 is her new album. It's a little bit different from her other stuff, but also a little bit the same as her other stuff. I've given it uh, a few listens. I'll be honest with you, I think it uh, needs to grow on me. I'm not that into it yet, but I think I'll get there, especially once I figure out what the singles are supposed to be, because I haven't quite figured that out yet. I'm sure that one or two is already listed on her Wikipedia page, but I don't I don't spend that much time thinking about Adele. No offense to her, she's great, I just don't spend that much time thinking about her. Uh, I, I, I like her when I hear her, you know, but I don't read up on her that much. So uh, I, I haven't listened to this enough to where I've identified what the singles are, but I've basically liked it. I've enjoyed listening to it, especially like when I'm cooking or something like that. Uh, I will say it's a little bit odd that she goes back to the well of talking through a song more than once, and there are a couple of times where I'm going, all right, you're laying it on a little bit thick there, but I get it, you know. Uh, it's At the same time, even though I feel those things, I also know that the last person that Adele should be listening to about her songs and musical career is a forty-year-old man. So uh, <laughs> I'm not her. I'm not her demographic. I have no business to be com commenting on the content of her songs up to a certain point. Uh, beyond, I enjoyed them or I didn't. And for the most part, I enjoyed them. It's not my favorite Adele album, but I liked it, and I'm sure it's on a lot of people's top 10 list. Uh, it's it, it certainly deserves to be there if you're of a mind to put it there. It's a good album. I think she's done better, but it's a good album. That's kind of where I am on Adele's 30. I'm just going to blow right through these, by the way. Uh, we also got a new album from, uh, well, kind of a new album from The Descendants this year called Ninth and Walnut. The D Descendants, one of my favorite punk bands. Uh, Ninth and Walnut has kind of an odd story. It's old songs from an old session featuring guys who are no longer in the band. In fact, well, a couple of guys who are no longer in the band. In fact, one of the guys is no longer with us. And it got finished up. Like, they've never used those songs. I think, like, three of them came out. But they had never used those sessions for anything until the pandemic hit and everything was shut down and vocalist Milo went to the studio and finally recorded lyrics uh, on the songs and they put it out. So this is an album that in some ways is super old and is also brand new. So it's confusing in that way. I will say a bit, it feels and sounds and smells and tastes like a Descendants album. And I was really happy to have it. I haven't listened to it a ton because I'm not, I just haven't been in a punk rock place and I need to be. But uh, I have listened to it enough to know that it's good and I enjoy it. 
and it fits in with the rest of the Descendants catalog, and I'm happy about it. So there you go. There's the Descendants Ninth and Walnut. It's uh, it's a good album. I, I like it a lot. Uh, I also want to talk to you extraordinarily briefly, way too briefly, about the albums that are coming out under the label Jazz is Dead, which is, uh, I'm going to butcher both of these names because I've never heard them said. Uh, it's spearheaded by Adrian Young, or Young, or Yunj, Y-O-U-N-G-E, and Ali Sha- uh, Shahid Muhammad. I think I'm right on that. Ali Shahid Muhammad. Uh, these guys are dudes who are producing really cool like jazz stuff with some big names of jazz, but it's very modern sounding. It's not the jazz that you're thinking of. It's not your dad's jazz, unless your dad likes it, I guess. Sorry, it's hard to describe. Uh, These are guys who have, I would say there's an R&B mentality that is creeping into jazz songs. And there are, I think, nine volumes in it right now. I'm up to volume eight. I think uh, four or five of them came out this year. Uh, they seem to be putting out an album every other month, and it's hard to keep up. I think the only one I don't have is volume nine, which is stuff from the previous eight volumes just without the guest players on it. Uh, and that, But that's also kind of the interesting thing, is the guest players that they have. Because the names that they're bringing in on uh, to assist them with these songs and to play along with them are really cool names. You've got Roy Ayers, you've got Marcos Valle, you've got uh, Azimuth, you've got Doug Karn, you've got Gary Bartz, you've got uh, 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 J.O. Donato, I don't know if I've ever said that right, you got Brian Jackson, you got really cool names playing really cool jazz with really cool guys. And it's just easy to get lost in it. And sometimes that's horns, sometimes that's uh, xylophones, sometimes that's other stuff. There's pianos and, and what have you. It's it's really cool, really interesting stuff. The one that jumps out at me the most is Volume 6, which is Gary Bartz. But I found something to enjoy in every release and at some point I'll pick up the ninth one. There may be a tenth by now. I don't remember exactly when I lost count. So uh, <laughs> it's a great series. Check it out. Just Google Jazz is Dead. You'll find them. And it's really cool stuff. The last one that I want to talk about in our music section here before I tell you what I've been listening to for Christmas is the new one by Dream Theater. One of my favorite bands that I've followed forever. The album's called A View from the Top of the World. It's their uh, new album. It came out this year. It's it's a Dream Theater album. What can I say? There's some unnecessary spider art in the booklet that I wish I'd have known about. That wasn't fun. But otherwise, the album sounds like Dream Theater. I really like it. My favorite songs on it are Invisible Monster and Sleeping Giant. And it sounds like them, and it's just nice that they're still doing stuff. So Dream Theater, View from the Top of the World, it's a Dream Theater album. By now, you either love them or you don't, and I love them. So there. Now, since this thing's coming to you right on Christmas, I just want to tell you what's in my my, uh, CD player for Christmas. I've been listening to the same stuff I listen to every year, so if I've said this stuff in the past, I apologize, but this is what I've been spending lately. I've been listening to my personal favorite Christmas album, Amy Mann's One More Drifter in the Snow. 
where she covers a lot of traditional stuff and a lot of the stuff that I really like in Christmas Christmas music. The kind of wartime, sad-sounding Christmas songs like Whatever Happened to Christmas and The Christmas Song and uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and stuff like that. She also has a couple of originals of her own uh, in the song Christmas Time and the incredibly well-written Calling on Mary. That's her own song, and that one deserves to be remembered as one of our great Christmas songs. So uh, I've been listening to Amy Mansell, More Drifter in the Snow. I suggest that you do likewise. I also like to end my Christmas day by listening to... So I haven't listened to it yet, but I like to end my Christmas day by listening to Dave Brubeck's Christmas album. It's just called a Dave Brubeck Christmas. Dave Brubeck, of course, a piano jazz guy. Uh, I like his Christmas album because it's a very Brubeck Christmas album and that he establishes the melody of the song he's playing and then veers off into whatever he wants to play. And if he touches on the melody again, it's incidental and accidental. And, uh, I love that. And it's, it's just a nice listen. It's good to have on in the background while you're getting a little bit tipsy. Maybe I should be listening to it tonight as I pound down this Bailey's too quickly. Uh, another one that is actually a fairly recent ad for me is Bob Dylan's Christmas album. came out in 2009 called Christmas in the Heart. I've described it in the past as it sounds like what would happen if Tom Waits recorded a Christmas album, but like in a studio with a band instead of what I assume is Tom Waits's natural instinct, which would be recording it in an unfinished basement with a hammer. Uh, it, it, it sounds like Tom Waits got his shit together and did a Christmas album. It's, it's nice. It's charming. It sounds good. It's the songs that you want to hear. Uh, there's the stuff about faith, but there's also the stuff that isn't about faith. Bob Dylan, I think to this day is still a Christian. And, uh, so he's got that represented, but he's also got some of the secular aspect represented as well. And the last one that I've been listening to is the one that uh, Low Straight Jackets put out a year or two ago. It's the Complete Christmas Songbook. They've done a number of Christmas EPs and things over the years, and this is all of them. The one thing I dispute with them on it is that Linus and Lucy is not a Christmas song. It's just the Peanuts theme. Um, the, the Christmas time is here. Sure, the Peanuts version of that, great. Linus and Lucy is not a Christmas song. Everybody stop that. But otherwise, love Low Straight Jackets. They're my favorite luchador surf band. Trust me on that. And uh, the Complete Christmas Songbook is just a whole lot of fun. And that's what I've been listening to for Christmas, and that's what I've been listening to the rest of the year in the stuff that I mentioned before that. I hope maybe you got some ideas from that. If it's uh, not too late for you to throw one of those on for Christmas as you're listening to this, throw it on. If it is too late, you got something for next year. Checkmates, thanks so much for hanging out with me over the last uh, hour-ish. Actually, I think we're a little bit shy of an hour as I'm speaking to you right now, but we'll probably get there during this uh, during this outro. We usually do. 
Uh, thanks so much for spending this time with me. It really does mean a lot. Next week, we're going to be hitting my top 10 albums of 2021, assuming nothing bad happens to me between now and then. But that is my intent, is to give you my top 10 favorite albums and a little bit more. We'll cover some of the also-rans as well. Uh, I always look forward to that. It's always a blast. I think a couple episodes ago, I said that in the week between Christmas and New Year's, I'd do the Happy Now episode. That is now going to be the episode after the top 10 list, because I had more I wanted to say. So, uh, the Happy Now episode, for those who don't know, I put out an album called Happy Now back in May, and as is tradition with me, I'm going to play the album and talk over it and tell you about the influences that went into it and all that stuff. It's self-indulgent. So uh, uh, I, I wanted to get another episode in before I did the uh, the top ten, and I wanted to get the top ten in before I did the Happy Now episode. So Happy Now, coming to you the first week of the new year, and uh, the top ten will come to you next week. I normally try to get that in before Christmas, but why? Uh, I mean, really, why? I'm, I'm going to get it in the week after, and I think that'll be fun. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That'll be uploaded as soon as possible. Other than that, the main thing I got going on is I'm working my way through my Lord of the Rings walkthrough, or walkthrough, watch-through. I uh, watched all the Hobbit movies. I've watched The Fellowship of the Ring and the director's commentary and the cast commentary. I am starting the first appendix disc of The Fellowship of the Ring tonight, and we'll probably watch the second one tomorrow, and I will finish this whole thing up probably sometime in the new year at the rate that I've been taking it. And that's just fine with me, because those movies are one of my happy places. Other than that, um, not a lot going on. Just kind of trying to get the house ready for my upcoming cats. Don't have a date on that yet. Uh, by the way, I've just accepted that I'm going to end up with two cats. I'm just saying cats and pluralizing now, because part of what won me over to that is, one, a lot of foster places won't adopt you just one cat if you don't already have a cat, because it's it's better for cats to grow up as friends, so, uh, or siblings, preferably. So a lot of them will only adopt you two or more, so I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, But also, I realized I could start referring to us as Derek and the Pussycats, and that makes me really happy. Uh, that's a Josie and the Pussycats reference, for those of you who might not know. Uh, I, I, uh, that's like my Christmas card for the next 10 to 20 years, sorted. Just, uh, Merry Christmas from Derek and the Pussycats. That's great. I love that. So, don't know exactly when that'll be happening, but I'm looking forward to it quite a bit. Uh, so I'm getting the house ready for that. I'll tell you this, those of you who know me personally know that over the pandemic and onward, I've grown out quite a long beard. I've got a beard that's down, uh, let's see, it goes, if I hold my head up straight, right to the bottom of my sternum, I guess, and makes most of my t-shirts unreadable. Uh, I like it, I've really been enjoying having the long beard, I think I'm gonna shave it in the new year, down to just like a normal, regular-sized beard, and uh, then I'll meet my new cats, and as the cats, you know, get to know me, I'll start growing the beard back out, and it'll be back by next year. Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll just uh, shave every new year <laughs> and have some fun with that. Because I like having the long beard, but there's also a lot that's in the way about it. And every now and again, you gotta see somebody, like, in a professional circumstance, and you need to look like you can pay back a loan. So that's on my mind, too. And uh, uh, we might... Uh, 
we might be uh, trimming up the beard here pretty soon. But I'll keep you posted on that, especially if you follow me on my social media, you'll see it. Uh, in the meantime, checkmates, let me know what you think. Please feel free to contact me at db at derekbrink.com with your thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns, comments, objections, and so on. And I will be glad to at least reply to you, if not mention it on the show. By the way, I've got a few uh, listener emails set aside to read sometime soon. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, maybe it'll be you. There's actually uh, somebody whose permission I'm waiting on. Uh, by the way, I I always ask for permission before I read one of your emails. I'll reply back to you and say, hey, thanks. You know, this, this, and this to answer your question. Do you mind if I share this on the air? And uh, I wait until someone says yes before I do that. So uh, uh, always feel like I'm going to protect your anonymity and be and I'll only say whatever you're you're comfortable with. So uh, that's it, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for another great year. Uh, talking about nonsense with you. Really, I should save saying that until next week, because that'll come out before the new year. But thank you in advance, I guess, for a great year. I hope your holiday season has been wonderful and continues to be wonderful. And if it hasn't been so wonderful, just remember, something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen. It'll be alright. Just hang in there. Something'll happen soon. Uh, again, thank you. Try and stay healthy out there. Try and keep other people healthy, too. Get vaccinated. Get your boosters. I'm trying like hell to get my booster. I'm sorry that I haven't yet. Uh, but get your boosters. Be vaccinated. It's really the only chance we have to beat this thing. Uh, wear a mask when you can't social distance. Just just, just, just do the right thing. Do what you know is the right thing. What you know is the right thing. Please. Beyond that, please remember that black lives matter, that trans rights are human rights, that women's rights are human rights, and I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. Be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. Happy!